Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and chapter 3, verses 7 through 14 which you will find in the Old Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 51 or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Silence in us any voice but your own, O Lord. Help us to hear your word anew today. Amen. Exodus 2, verse 24. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. He led his flock to Horeb, the mountain of God. God called to Moses from a blazing bush and said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Exodus 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of this of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you, me to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Izzy. And thank you for your stories, sharing your stories of our mission partners. Now, I'm told that President Franklin D. Roosevelt got tired of all the receptions where he shook people's hands and they nodded and exchanged pleasantries. And so one day he decided to try an experiment because he felt like no one was really listening to him. And so as he shook someone's hand, he said to them, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And they responded by shaking his hand and saying, how lovely except for one foreign diplomat who said, I'm sure she had it coming to her. (laughs) Now, I would think that were Pharaoh in our story to say, I murdered 10 Hebrews this morning, no one would say they had it coming to them, based on our scripture reading. Certainly not Moses, because God had told him differently. The problem is not that God is not speaking. The problem is often that we are not listening. We are not hearing God's voice. The good news for us is that God still hears us. And so today we're going to look at at these verses anew. Last week, we focused on Moses' call in the burning bush. 
Today, I want to talk about not just Moses, whom we picture as this larger-than-life figure who had it all figured out. The reality is that Moses was not a strong out-front leader who led the people by his charisma and his strong ideas. No, in fact, God was the leader. As we look at the scriptures more closely, we discover that the Exodus was all God's idea from start to finish. Yes, God calls a helper Moses, and Moses joins in. He takes action out of the time that he spends with God and in conversation with God, as we've seen. But we see that the Exodus is God's idea. And so today we talk about our God who stops, who looks, and who listens. Yahweh is the name that he gives himself, which translates, I am. That's the God who stops to look and listen. God sees, God experiences the hardship along with God's people is what we see this. All the words in Exodus 3, 7 through 10 are action-oriented, as you can see. God says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard them cry out. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue. They're all in the first person. They're action-oriented, showing that these words come straight from God's heart and straight from God's will. We'll see that again in a couple of weeks with the Ten Commandments. God not only sees, but God feels, and then God sets in motion all that follows. Our God who sees and hears, our God who acts. Remember, it would be stunning for a shepherd to hear this revelation of God, I am. It would be stunning for any of us, but we think of Moses. I mean, if you look up at our, at our stained glass window, the second column, the very top, that's somehow we think of Moses or like Charlton Heston, who you saw on the screen. That's the picture we have. But he wasn't Moses yet in this time. He was just a dude tending sheep who saw a burning bush and kicked off his flip-flops. But actually, the stunning part was not the burning bush. The stunning part was God's self-revelation. What God wanted Moses to know and wants us to know. God is not safely distant up in heaven, watching over things from afar. Or God is not just looking as if through a window. Or even what some people say, that God could be compared to a watchmaker who makes the delicate workings and the watch and winds it up and then lets it go, lets the world run down over time. No, that is not what Scripture tells us about who our God is. Scripture teaches us that God groans, God hears, God feels the pain along with God's people, and God assures Moses that God is with the people in their misery. We learn that along with Moses. God notices, remembers, and in so doing, God focuses God's creative power, God's energy for recreation and change on the Hebrews and their situation. So we learn in Scripture that this God, who, this is God whose promise means taking sides with oppressed Israel. 
And when in verse 13, Moses said to God, now suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God's response to Moses is, I am who I am. That's what Yahweh means. Now, it's not a refusal, not a snappy like, it's none of your concern who I am. No, God says I am two times for emphasis. I am there, wherever it may be, I am truly there, truly present is what this means. And I cause to be everything that comes into existence. This is what God's self-revelation means. It's a strong claim with incredible depth that we could talk about for weeks and weeks. But as I was thinking about it, it reminded me of the way that a beloved author, C.S. Lewis, portrays the Christ figure Aslan the Lion in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You probably know the story of the allegory when the lion gets put to death on the stone table and then rises again, the children Susan and Lucy are there weeping and watching. And they're astonished. They come out and Aslan says this, "'Oh, children,' says the lion, "'I feel my strength coming back to me. "'Oh, children, catch me if you can.'" And he made a leap high over their heads and landed on the other side of the table, laughing, Lucy scrambled over to try to reach him, and Aslan leapt again, and a mad chase began. It was such a romp as no one has ever seen since in Narnia, and whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. And the funny thing was that when all three were done with the chase and lay panting together in the sun, the girls no longer felt the least tired or hungry or thirsty, although they had been up all night. And now, Aslan said presently, to business. I feel I am going to roar. You'd better put your fingers in your ears. And I wonder if that roar sounded something like, I am. So the girls put their fingers in their ears. Aslan stood up, and when he opened his mouth to roar, his face became so terrible, they did not dare look at it. But a moment later, Aslan invited them. We have a long journey to go. You must ride on me. Climb on my back, dear ones. And we can see Aslan's roar. When we feel God is with us, as God promised Moses three times and the Israelites time and time again, God energizes and refreshes us too. God's self-revelation as I am impacts people in two ways I can think of. Positively, it impacts them by physically delivering them in the Exodus and then spiritually rescuing and delivering them and us too. For all of eternity, God's revealing God's I am has the power of a roar that resounds through history. And it's interesting because Moses was listening and trying to understand. By his questions, we learned more. They're in genuine conversation. 
Not only is God hearing and Moses is hearing, but they're listening and conversing with one another. They disagree, they argue, they challenge one another. God's character is such that it invites human response. And of course, Moses has some skills and giftedness for the task at hand, but not everything. If we look again, God's creative work in Moses and through Moses continues. It flourishes if you look through Exodus and Deuteronomy. The more that Moses listens and talks with God, the more that Moses learns to trust God. But Moses' persistence and questions lead us to a greater fullness of understanding of God's character. But we notice that God is not the only one with something important to say in these passages. In other words, our normal ways of building relationships, seeing, hearing, responding, even arguing, have a place in building our relationships with our God who hears. And the interesting thing is that God will move along with Moses and adapt God's original plan in view of Moses' arguments. You know, Moses says, uh, uh, God, I don't speak too good. Could you send my brother instead? And God says, I'll send your brother along with you. I wonder, is partnership a risky venture for God? Are there negative aspects, negative possibilities? Because God will have to work in and through Moses' frailties and failings, as well as Moses' strengths. God is willing to do that. I find that amazing and comforting. We serve a God who is willing to give up some control in order to invite us into God's plans. Now, I want to point out our sanctuary again. This is a smaller window. It's the third column over and the second up. This is Moses with his sheep looking at the burning bush. And in this image, which you can see up front, it's Jesus in the burning bush. Our God who sees and hears, remembers and knows and acts is Jesus. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament because scripture reminds us that when the time was right, that kairos moment, the Greek means the fullness of time, this God that we hear about in Exodus sent Emmanuel, God with us. Galatians 4.4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who are under the law. So Yahweh, who we hear about through Moses and the prophets and the journey of the Exodus is the one that we can discover in Jesus Christ, fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ, full of love, care for the oppressed. This God, our God, still sees and hears and loves us. This God acts on behalf of us in Jesus. As Romans 8, 34 and 39 said, who is to condemn? It is Christ who died or who rather was raised for us, who is also at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than victorious through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Scripture tells us it was true for the Israelites. It was true for the Galatians and the Romans. And it's true for us, too, that God hears us and God acts. So how do we respond to this powerful, almighty God of burning bushes, our caring and attentive God who frees and rescues, our seeing and hearing, remembering and rescuing God revealed in the bush and in Christ Jesus? For now, I can think of two ways. The first is by seeking out Jesus in scripture and in prayer. I'm always going to continue to encourage us to go back to the source, to go back to learn more of who Scripture tells us. The brilliant scientist Sir Isaac Newton said that he could take his telescope and look millions and millions of miles into space. But then he added, when I lay aside my telescope and go into my room and shut the door and go down on my knees in earnest prayer, I see more of heaven and feel closer to the Lord than if I were assisted by all the telescopes on earth. I could tell you story after story of our God who meets us, whether through prayers of us or faithful others, as you heard in our stories that Carol and Bridget told this morning. Our God meets us. Our God even gives us signs. Our God protects us. Sometimes our God wakes up other people in the night to pray for us. If this is in a special interest of yours, I invite you to join in prayer. After the worship service, there are always prayer companions willing to pray with you about what's in our heart. And on Wednesday nights, we have a time by Zoom of focused prayer. Join in and see what happens as we listen and speak to our God. That powerful God, our powerful God, invites us to join in and partner not only with prayer, but with action. So what action? We are asked to act justly. Israel was commanded to join in, to imitate God. We'll get to Exodus to chapter 17 when we hear the Ten Commandments, but in Exodus 22, God says this, You shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall not abuse any widow or orphan. If you do abuse them, when they cry out to me, I will surely heed their cry. And when your neighbor cries out to me, I will listen, for I am compassionate." Scripture tells us if the oppressed cry out, God will surely hear because God's hearing was not a one-time or a two-time thing. It's an ongoing event. And are there still oppressed in our world? Yes. We heard some of the stories this morning, and Carol could tell you dozens more like it. God invites us to join in 
to imitate God, to live up to our role as bearers of the image of God, as those who can hear, who can see, and who can remember and act. Eugene Peterson, the author of the Message Translation, wrote a book called Praying with Moses, and he writes this. I'm always trying to manufacture the right atmosphere for meeting God, preparing the right setting, getting into the right mood, and then I'm surprised by your presence when I least expect it, at the most unlikely time, making any place holy ground and asking me, inviting me to join in. The scripture tells us that God works in and through and for and despite Moses. And God works in and through and for and despite us too. But God invites us to join in joyfully in what God is doing in the world. If you look more closely at Moses' story, he was often looking for ways to get out of doing God's will. What if we looked for ways to get in on it? As I told Carol and the mission co-chairs this week, I think doing what God is inviting us to is the most exciting game in town. What if we tried to join in? Because God sends Jesus into the world and Jesus sends us. You will hear me say this again and again in our two years because I am so excited about joining in on that. And how do I know that Jesus cares for the oppressed the same way that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, does? You could just look at any of Jesus' parables. Look them up for yourself. The Good Samaritan, the parable of the wedding feast, the sheep and the goats. I could go on and on and on. Peterson writes, please use your stories, God, to keep me in touch with what you are doing in the world still. Train me in daily expectations based on your involvement in every part of history and life. You're seeing, hearing, remembering, and doing. Because our God is one who stops and looks and listens to us. So let's make time this week for us to stop, look, and listen, and then act justly according to our great God. Amen. <laughs>